Can you tell me your name and the year you were born? Yep, Chris Balance, 1952. And where did you grow up? Uh, in England. Um, born in Worcester, lived much of the life in Leicester, and um, escaped from Surrey to go to university in Scotland. And what is your professional or work background? Uh, varied would be the best answer to that one. Um, I, what took me to the arts and mental health sphere was uh, being self-employed as a writer, a playwright, for 10 years. And... Um, Yeah, after 10 years of just about making a living, slightly more than I would have done on the dole, there came the year when I'd got absolutely nothing lined up ahead, so I thought I'd better get a real job. And um, that was the one that I got was working with Survivors Poetry Scotland, just as it was setting up. Well, it had just about set itself up. It had just become an independent organization separate from Glasgow Association for Mental Health. We went from being a file in a filing cabinet to an independent organization with our own office over a, a fairly short period of time. And which, which company was that? It was Survivors Poetry Scotland. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is? Um, sadly, it's a was rather than an is. It was a user-led arts organization aiming to produce good quality work artwork and to encourage the, and enable those people who joined the joined the organization to feel confident about their ability to produce creative work so we worked in the field, mainly in the field of poetry both performance poetry and written poetry we produced a magazine called Nomad but we also had occasional art exhibitions, a couple of art exhibitions when I was there, and occasional traveling theater shows, all of which were written, devised, produced and performed by, by users. How long were you there for? I was there for three years. And what was your... Like role predominantly? I was the manager of the organization. I joined sharing the management with a guy called Larry Butler, who I'm sure will also be on your your contacts, people to contact file, because he had actually been involved in the arts and mental health organization for several years before me. Um, so he founded survivor's poetry and 
then I came to join him as a, a co-manager over a period of about eight months before he left and moved on to other things. So really, he was wanting to, to move on, but he wanted to do a proper handover. And was that your first role within mental health and the arts? First, yeah, first formal role. I mean, I'd had some small involvement as a playwright, um, you know, and I was aware of some of the arts and mental health organizations around Glasgow at the time. But it was, yeah, it was my first formal work. Can you talk about a little bit as your work as a playwright? Um, I was generally, well, I had two plays which sort of started with me saying this is a good topic for a play and writing the play and then found, finding a home for it. The first of them got a, an Edinburgh Fringe First Award in Jings, whenever it was, 1989, something like that. And then toured Scotland, small-scale touring, and the second one was picked up by the same director, and she used it to launch her company, and again, small-scale touring around the second and third division of theatres in Scotland. Um, most of the rest was commissioned work for children's theatre and devised work with a company that um, produced its work through um, well, through a devising process, through different sorts of devising processes and improvisation processes. And that all kept me going, as I say, for for about ten years. I also did some teaching work and some workshops which helped the income coming in. So I was doing a series of lectures at Strathclyde University and at one point Annesland College in Glasgow. So how did you first get involved with Survivors Poetry Scotland? Um, I answered an advert, a job advert and um, went through a rather gruelling interview in front of what was then, I think, 18 or so founder members of Survivors Poetry Scotland and um, finished up getting the job. What do you think your work there was trying to achieve? We were trying to grow the, we were trying to find the organization a solid base in Glasgow and to grow the organization across Scotland. And during my time there, we developed bases in Edinburgh and Stirling. Um, the Edim and, and Aberdeen, actually, slightly. The Edinburgh one was successful and ran for a couple of years or so. The others were a lot more sporadic and really depended on the involvement. Each of them depended on the involvement of one particular person. And the other bit was to grow the, the Glasgow organization and that we did 
reasonably successfully. We finished up, um, we produced three programs per annum, each running for about 10 or 12 weeks. No, sorry, no. Yeah, three programs for, per annum, each running for 12 or 14 weeks. And during those, we had four workshops a week during that period, at least one of which was run by a professional, and the other three were run by Survivors Poetry members who had been trained in group facilitation. And we did one theatre show a year, and one arts exhibition a year, and one performance, well, actually, one, almost one performance poetry evening per month. It actually worked out at about 10 per annum, missing out on Christmas time and summertime. So that was 10 public performances of poetry per annum, one occasionally two theatre shows devised and running around the country per annum, one arts exhibition, and um, a lot of workshops in different locations. Generally, we held them in our in rooms connected to our office space. Um, some of them were held in different places. There was one series held in Woody Lee Hospital and a long-standing series of workshops held in a housing association house for for people with um, with mixed issues, uh, generally a mixture, mainly disabilities, but also some mental health issues as well through a, an organisation called the Margaret Blackwood Housing Association. And what are some of your favourite memories of being involved um, in Survivors Poetry Scotland? Favourite memories were watching some of our, some of the people who came in grow. So, for example, one person came in entirely silent and started to go to workshops, gradually started to make a contribution and finished up working part-time for the organization as, as an organizer. Other people developed an interest in leading workshops and running, running workshops and so we put through, them through through training and um, yeah it was watching watching people grow through their work I think the realization that not for everybody but for some people being able to write down their own experiences particularly being able to write them down as metaphor enables them to feel, enables us to feel in control of the experiences. By writing something down, it's it's a bit like an extension of um, writing down a shopping list. 
by writing down a shopping list, you feel in control of what you need to get and you can successfully go around the shops. And similarly, by writing down trauma or mental health experiences, you get to feel that you're in control of them. And that helps. That helps with self-confidence hugely. And of course, the public performances. I think the quality of the public performances that we did could at very best be described as mixed. But the the confidence that it gave to those who took part in them was um, was was big. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to measure, and we spent quite a lot of time thinking about how do we measure these these things. You know, can you measure the amount of confidence you get from doing a public performance related to? number of trips to a doctor or the number of um, the, the dosage of medication that you're receiving and we never really came up with satisfactory answers to that question how do you measure self-confidence and that was one of my big regrets over the years that we didn't because while we were um while we were flourishing, we had great support from Greater Glasgow Health Board. We had a procurement manager who was thoroughly on our side, who understood what we were doing and gave us a grant of, I think it was about £70,000 per annum. And he used to say, look, what I'm giving you is the equivalent of one mental health bed. And I am absolutely convinced that what you're doing is worth that. And excellent value for money but we never managed to document that value for money which meant that when he moved on which was in the last year that I was there about a year after he moved on and a year and maybe six months after I'd moved on when a future less sympathetic person came in as head of procurement of that department and they were looking to cut costs, it was difficult for us to show the justification for exactly how um, exactly how it was helping everybody who was involved. And so at that point, about 18 months, two years or two and a half years after I left, the organization lost its health board funding and other bits of funding followed from that and it had to close down. But I don't know the details of, of that. So it got more difficult to get funding the longer you were there? Well, no, when, when I was there it was actually relatively easy to, I mean it felt relatively easy, certainly it was easy to get the funding from the health board because we had a very sympathetic procurement manager um, dealing with us. And in fact, I tried to, I tried to argue, I, I tried to say to him, look, can you give us a contract? Can you say exactly what you want from us and we will deliver it? And he was, he was much more vague and um, um, just, no, no, it's fine. Just usually keep going what, 
doing what you're doing or come by and see you once or twice a year and um, we'll be happy with that. And that was great and it was dead easy and it was dead easy to, to live with. But it did mean that we didn't have, when people started to look for proper evaluations and figures, as became kind of popular in the later the later 90s, we just didn't have them. And the Arts Council, who were our other main fund, funder, were really just a top-up funder. You know, they funded for different events. They funded the magazine. They funded some of the theatre tours and arts exhibitions, but they didn't do the core funding. It was the health board that covered the core funding. And what sort of people were you trying to reach, um, age range, etc., with Survivors Poetry Scotland? We wanted to be as open as possible, so we had as broad a definition as possible, and we were open to anybody who wanted to describe themselves as a survivor. So principally, obviously, we were looking at the survivors of mental health issues, because that was where the organization had been born from. We were inspired by Survivors Poetry in London, and that was very much focused on mental health. And that had come out of um, a mental health institution. I can't remember which one. But, um, yeah, they were our, our genesis, but we actually wanted to be more open than that. So survivors of sexual abuse, um, were also involved, and also some, a few people with, um, with disabilities, with life-changing disabilities. But the core was always the mental health service, and it was always with the mental health service that we were working most closely. The Arts Council also, now I'm coming to think of it, they also funded the some of the workshops. We had a at least one workshop a week would be run by a writer, a, a professional writer from outside the organisation, and the Arts Council funded those trips, those workshops through their artists in the community scheme which paid artists a decent amount of money to go out and do workshops or talks about their work. And what were some of the key messages you were trying to get across, or maybe the key goals of, of the program? Um, it was a self-help organization, and the key goal was that users of the mental health system should help their own mental health by organizing a program of creative events. So that was that was absolutely the key goal, um, that it would be user-led and user-run, and that it would be working to improve mental health through the arts. Uh, there's a long long, long history of um, 
of artists who've had mental health issues who've um, who, whose creativity has, has enabled them to see through the the crack in the walls that surround us and the vision beyond has been life-changing enough to induce changes in mental health. Um, I don't know if I'm putting myself very well, but for example, the fact that Shakespeare wrote his great tragedies, it is thought after a, after a nervous breakdown. And various other leading artists have been on the edge between what society calls normal and what society deems to be worthy of being locked up. Again, through home education, I can tell you that Michelangelo and Leonardo were both in that spectrum. And I guess we took a fair degree of um, um, we were inspired a fair degree by um, oh dear my brain's completely gone I, I suddenly started thinking about homeschooling and uh, Ardy Lang thank you Ardy <laughs> Lang Ronnie Lang uh, Larry Butler had 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 dealings with him back in the 70s, I think, and his ideas of user-led recovery were very much part of the organization and have now drifted way past your the goal of your original question, which I think was goals and messages, and the message, if anything, was just... Um, slightly ahead of the CME movement, just, uh, look, we're here, and we are, we are human beings, and we have something to contribute to society. And when you first started, how is mental health viewed? I'm not sure that the vision of that the societal view of mental health changed particularly during the three four years that I was there. I think society as a whole is it's it's less so now, but in those days, I think it was afraid of people with mental health problems. I almost as if it might be catching, you know, like a, a bacteria or a virus. Um, people with mental health problems were seen as other and separate, not quite as bad as a hundred years ago when when the mad woman was locked in the attic and or locked away in Bedlam or wherever and completely forgotten about. But nevertheless, people with mental health problems were seen as other and different and there was a stigma attached to it which is still there to a degree. Um, and society just didn't want to know and didn't want to integrate. And hopefully 
we did a very small little bit to help a little bit of integration. And how often do people speak about mental health, both their own or more generally? Within the context of survivor's poetry or now as a society? Um, yes, back back then. Um, well, within the context of survivor's poetry, within the organization itself, it was talked about in a regular day-to-day -day ordinary fashion because, um, you know, everybody there had either had some some experience of the mental health system or was currently having it and currently involved. Um, some people had CPNs, some people were referred to us by this, the community psychiatric nurse, other people had had episodes in the past which I mean, severe episodes which had led to extreme hospitalization and um, straitjackets and all the rest. Some people just felt themselves as complete outsiders to society and um, all were on medication for depression or anxiety or whatever. So there was a mixture of people, and it was entirely common for a lot of people to be talking about their experiences and their daily conditions on a daily basis. And you know, the, the paid staff were there to support people through that as well, as well as the core work, which was to organize and promote program of artistic activities. So I know you said that there's still stigma today, but do you think that the attitudes have changed overall towards mental health since you worked at Survivor Poetry? I think they probably have, yes. I mean, I think the See Me campaign has done a great deal and has been really effective. Can you tell me a bit about that? Um, that's... I don't know if that's Scottish or UK-wide, but the it, is, it has encouraged people with mental health issues to be open about them in public, and that, I think, has demonstrated that mental health issues are classless and can and do affect anyone of any age, any background, any career, any position in society. From Tony Blair, senior advisor, Alistair Campbell, upwards or downwards, depending on where you put him on the spectrum. So I think that's helped. I think we are now looking at the language that we use and we're still we're still using adjectives like mad, bonkers crazy 
to describe things that we thoroughly disagree with. But we are starting to become aware that it isn't it isn't good to use pejorative adjectives connected to mental health in an ordinary daily daily way. I don't know if that's making sense at all, but um, yeah, of course, yeah. And what impact, if any, did your work have on your own mental health? definitely increased my confidence um, my self-confidence um, yeah the organization went through one or two crises and the final crisis was big enough to make me think I'm going to steer this through this this crisis and take us to the other side and as soon as we're on the other side I'm going to resign and move on that was a crisis caused by the suicide of the chair of our board um, and that yeah that that led to quite a lot of problems and questioning about where we were going and how we were working um, but yeah, yeah, self confidence definitely. Um, I guess learning that I had the, the ability to plan and organize and um, execute such a program of, of activity, and that I was able to grow the organization so when. When, we, when I started, we had about 15 regular users of the organization, and we met in the offices of Glasgow Association for Mental Health. And when I left, we had a, an office and a dedicated workshop room and had somewhere around 80 to 100 people involved in the organization in Glasgow plus um, I'm not quite sure how many in other parts of Scotland. I mean, maybe a dozen in Aberdeen and 20 or so in Edinburgh. So we did manage to grow over, over a small number of years, and we managed to grow the amount, number of events that we had. And... Um, Yeah, that was, that was, I guess, helped my self-confidence, but there's no doubt about it at all that the thing that um, gave me the biggest pleasure and satisfaction and probably confidence as well was, was when you do see someone growing through their work within the organization and you do see them changing and developing over the course of months. How did you encourage people to get involved with it? Um, we worked with the mental health system, so I did a couple of 
workshops or talks to CPNs and other people involved in the mental health organization. We did a theater show, for example, in one of the um, hospitals, one of the mental health hospitals in Glasgow, and we produced, as it was being closed down, we produced, we worked with the residents to produce a booklet celebrating its 100 or 150 years of existence. And all of that made our known, made our name known to people who were working in the sphere and were able to refer people whom they thought would benefit from our services to us. And we also worked by just promoting the program of work that we'd got, producing brochures and um, making them available around places which might refer people on or where people might see it and be interested in them, like doctor surgeries, um, mental health centers, things like that. But it was it was it was a matter of self referral. I mean we did one of Larry Butler's interests was trying to get so that you could refer you could get a prescription for arts activities on the National Health Service. And so in the way that I think today doctors can prescribe exercise and actually give you a prescription to go go swimming or whatever it is, I believe. So the idea that you could prescribe arts activities for um, for mental health patients was something which our founder was keen to pursue. Uh, but our idea was that everybody who came should either be referred by a professional or should just see a leaflet or an article about it and say, oh, that looks interesting, that's for me, I'll come along. And there were other arts organizations in Glasgow that particularly an organization called Project Ability, which focused on the visual arts. And I, I, I think, I mean, the arguments that expressive arts have a role to play within the mental health system, that's an idea that's been around for 200 years or more. And uh, it is never quite fully taken up by the authorities because I think the pharmaceutical industry has, um, has better publicity, has more interests in it, and it is always easier to prescribe a pill. Um, and actually, survivors' poetry, the roots of survivors' poetry, and particularly some of the people in London, are very much also involved in campaigns against Big Pharma, the big pharmaceutical companies. We didn't get involved in that. We had people who who said, look, my current level of health is because of the pills that I'm being prescribed and absolutely ungrateful for them. And we had people who say, look, when I was, when I was taken in as an emergency admission, self-harming and tearing my ha hair out and everything, I am actually grateful 
that, I was put in a straitjacket for 36 hours and I was looked after with medication until the episode had had passed and that I was then brought down gradually with medication. So within our own organization, there was a debate about the value of pharmaceuticals in addition to the arts. But the Arts and Mental Health Organization was down south, was certainly founded by people who felt that it was an alternative to mental health hospitals, to pharmaceuticals, and all the rest of it. And again, probably taking inspiration from R.D. Lang, Sanity Madness in the Family. And how do you think that expressive arts um, helps people with their mental health? I think, I mean, I, I kind of partly answered this earlier. I think that they have a role to play by by being able to express a particular situation either directly on paper through words or images or through metaphor. I think that enables the person who's doing the expressing to feel a degree of control over their experiences and over their mental health. And that degree of control is really, really crucial because the central, one of the central bits of having a mental health issue is the lack of control, the sense of being out of control and of not being able to determine where you're going. And I don't think the arts are the full answer by any means, but I do think that um, that they have a, a real and very strong role to play for most people. And what were some of the challenges you faced at Survivor's Poetry? Um... Working with within the mental health organization within the mental health sphere without the proper training that you get if you are a CPN or somebody within the system is always going to produce its its own challenges. So, for example, the safety of people working in in the office. We had one occasion when a worker was threatened by somebody with a pair of scissors. And we had to be we had to be careful about how how you deal with people who may be in crisis. And that was that was one challenge that um, we had to we had to face and go through. Money, whatever you're doing, if you're doing something worthwhile, money is always going to be a challenge because you're always going to feel that if you had more of it, then you could do more. But actually, it was 
I would say surprisingly less of a challenge than you might expect it to be. Filling in funding applications is the bugbear of anyone's life in the voluntary sector. But having said that, I think we were lucky in that we were generally pushing at open doors. Um, we didn't manage to get Scottish Government social work funding, which was the one door which might have opened if we pushed a bit further and might have given us the core funding which would have allowed us to um, to continue for, for more years. Yeah, challenges. Um, yeah, the main crisis is just, the main challenge is really just when you're dealing with people in crisis. It's can sometimes be a challenge to separate that crisis from the organization and to make sure the organization itself isn't in crisis. So the challenge, I guess, was um, supporting people who are in crisis without, um, without letting it get to the organization. In terms of you know, making sure the organisation runs smoothly, even when you're you're working with people whose whose lives are not smooth, and when the organisation is entirely run by by users, but we we manage it, you know. Um, we, the the organisation survived and flourished during the time, and um, the vast majority of people who came to our services said that they were benefiting from it and filled in questionnaires which, which reflected that. And what do you think changed as a result of the work you did? What impact do you think it had? Um, I think it improved the lives of some 80 or so people immeasurably. And, you know, there's some of them that I'm still in contact with and I know of people who've um, the lady who I was thinking of specifically, well, two people who who said they were so glad that they'd been either straight-jacketed or straight-jacketed by, by pills. One of them went on to open a social enterprise cafe. The other one I'm thinking of did a, a degree in theology and is now working within a church and a very active leader figure in Extinction Rebellion in Scotland. So, yeah, that was the change. And, and yes, it's small steps, but um, they're important steps and 
I happen to believe that an important step for an individual is is worth encouraging and worth doing and worth society spending its time on. And why do you think it's important that mental health is covered in art? Within the arts, um, well, you get some great work produced by people with with mental health problems. I mean, we work a lot with um, Tom Leonard, with Ian Crichton Smith, two well kent Scottish writers, both of whom who um, who had well documented mental health issues through their lives with the famous Australian <coughs> poet Les Walters. <coughs> oh. Sorry, what the children and dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my concentration on names keeps on keeps on going, but yeah. And we I suppose, used their fame to publicize the fact that um, mental health issues are are something that you can live with and something that can benefit society. Because you can get extraordinary insights into the human condition through mental health episodes it's not it's not all doom and gloom as sometimes it can feel like and I think we helped to promote the idea of um, mental health issues being of, of somebody having a mental health issue of some sort as being a normal part of society rather than a weird the fact that um, 30 or 40% of people will have some form of mental health issue during their life, whether that's a breakdown when they're young or dementia when they're old, um, means that it is pretty close to normal. And not a weird abnormality abnormality to be locked away in the attic. It is just another expression of being human just as um, having having a disability which prevents you from walking or or something like that and the idea that we have to change society so it it encompasses and works with and for people with mental health problems is the same as as the argument about um, whether it's society that's disabled or disabling or whether it's a person that's disabled. You know, a society which allows proper access to 
everyone who would otherwise have a problem with access is one that's treating all its citizens fairly. So how would you like the relationship between mental health and arts in Scotland um, develop in the next five to ten years? Oh, um, well, I've, I've not really been involved in in that world for twenty years or so, so I'm not by no means at the forefront of thinking. So I'm probably not the best person to to speak on that. Uh, I mean, since Survivor's Poetry, um, first off, myself and the then partner decided we wanted to do a retreat to the countryside, so we moved to a small town in southwest Scotland where we opened a bookshop. And then, because I've been involved in the Scottish Green Party since its foundation, I really, by coincidence, more than design, uh, happened to become a, a member of the Scottish Parliament for the, the Green Party, which kind of took me well away from all my artistic roots. And then when I came out of that, I did one term of four years of that. And then the next main work that I did was starting up and running a social enterprise in the small town that where we where I then lived. And running that for, for five or six years before moving into retirement. So I kind of and yes I know I've got children of fourteen and ten but I started late. Um so I'm really not I'm not at the forefront of thinking, but I think the more that the arts can do both to help personally and emotionally people and also to integrate people with mental health issues into society then the better, because the first thing that happens generally in some form of mental health episode is, in my experience, is the person loses their self-confidence and loses their self-confidence to deal with other people and kind of loses their sense of identity as to who we are or, or whatever. And if we can use the arts to help people feel comfortable around other people and to help a sense of identity, then that's all to the great and the good. And obviously at the moment, with the lockdown and with there being no likelihood of large community gatherings this year, it's very, very difficult to see how the arts can can help that sort of um, bringing together of communities. 
but do, that's what has to happen in the long term is is um, people recognizing that the idea that there's um, people who are sane here and people who are insane there and never the two should meet is um, is something that belongs to the 19th century, 20th century or 19th century. And what we've got to do is is integrate fully both a society's need for artistic expression and the individual's need for acceptance. I don't know if that answers sufficiently, but I think that's probably about as far as I'm yeah. going to be able to get with that one. <laughs> No, thank you for answering. Um, so is there anything else that you want to say or add or anything that you feel that we haven't discussed that you'd like to talk about? No, I think we've, we've probably, I've said more than I would have remotely thought was possible to say <laughs> on the subject. But.